thought. And, uh, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles, please take them and turn with me this morning to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. It's just been uh, fun to kind of go through some New Testament texts after studying through Isaiah over the past uh, few months or so. So it's kind of just refreshing and hopefully it's been encouraging to you. And 2 Timothy, and we'll look at uh, one verse this morning. We're going to focus on chapter 2, verse 2. But as we look at this text, I want to read the fuller context of it. So I'm going to read all the way from uh, verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13, all the way through chapter 2, verse 7. Just give us the full context here, or a fuller context. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, through chapter 2, verse 7. The Apostle Paul writes these words to his uh, disciple, uh, son, spiritual son in the faith, Timothy, a pastor on the, uh, on the, in the city of Ephesus. <clears throat> this is the last letter that Paul would write in his life. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Rome, he eagerly for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this epistle. And even as we... Uh, heard last week the final words of Jesus before he ascended. We thank you, Lord, for these final words of the Apostle Paul and before he went to glory. And Lord, we pray that the words that he speaks to us, that he spoke to Timothy, would be the words that you speak to us this morning, that we would hear what you have to say, we would take to heart what you have to say, that we consider not only its meaning but its, its application and its practical application in our own personal lives but in the life of this church as a ministry of yours. We pray that you would be glorified as this, this verse that we focus on, this principle that we find here, would flesh itself out in the life of your church as we each take it to heart and apply it to our own lives. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for your glory. Amen. <clears throat> Uh, last week we started and we looked at the mission of the church, the mission of Essa Bible. And the mission of Essa Bible is to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. And every disciple-making church really uh, is, understands, generally understands their purpose. But for many disciple-making churches, we often get hindered in what we do. 
And I was just thinking about it this past week. I thought to myself, just kind of off the top of my head, particularly in light of this text, uh, I thought to myself, there are hindrances, things that hinder us from fulfilling our calling. Four such hindrances uh, I would just briefly share with you. Uh, are, number one, the number one hindrance that keeps us from fulfilling our mission is cowardice. A, a, poor, a wrong response to fear. In the ministry of the gospel, there are going to be occasions that give rise to fear. A fear of rejection, a fear of suffering, a fear of scorn, and, and many other fears. But instead of courageously trusting the Lord in the face of our fears, we, cowardice flees from the challenge. Cowardice hinders us. Second thing that hinders us from fulfilling uh, our commission is, is contempt. Contempt for the gospel. Sometimes we simply say ashamed of the gospel. Contempt is simply to disdain or to look down upon. When someone is ashamed of the gospel or ashamed of the, the teaching of Christ and we don't want to share it because of something about it, oh, we're afraid that people will reject hell or that they won't like the fact that, that, there's, a, that uh, there's this someone who we say actually was born of a virgin and rose from the grave on the third day and died for everyone's sins. Uh, sometimes we, we do not treat it with the respect or the regard that it deserves. And when we are ashamed of it, we're really showing contempt for, for God and his word. We treat it as if it's not the power of God for salvation, which it is. Thirdly, another third hindrance that keeps us from fulfilling the Great Commission is our own comfort. Comfort. Uh, all of us treasure our comfort. We like to be comfortable. And sometimes we like our comfort uh, more than the, the messiness of the war of, that we wage in our world. The war of bringing the gospel truth into the lives of sinners people who have the baggage of sin and, and wrestle with sin and need our help and encouragement. If you're in the, involved in the ministry of the word of the, of the gospel, you'll find that it is a messiness and it'll make you uncomfortable as you encounter sin. And then lastly, the thing, fourth thing that hinders us is carnality. Carnality, or walking in the flesh. Failure to walk by the Spirit ultimately leads us to, to live a life that where we indulge in the desires of the flesh, that we live for ourselves. And when we live for ourselves, we, we don't live for the Spirit. It prevents us from doing the things which pleases God. Any one or more of these hindrances will keep a church from being the disciple-making church that we ought to be. Well, when we find ourselves facing hindrances, we need books like 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a very appropriate book for those who face hindrances to disciple-making. It is a, a book that really charges the church. It charges young Timothy to go forth and fight the good fight, to not be timid, not be a, a coward, to not, be, to not uh, hold the gospel in contempt or God in contempt, to consider this calling and to seize his task, to put away our desires for comfort, to be an athlete, be a farmer, be a soldier, and march forward and fulfill his calling. In this book, the Apostle Paul exhorts young pastor Timothy to endure in the ministry of the gospel, watching out for the many hindrances that come along the way. At the very same time, Paul gives many principles in this book, principles to help Timothy to be faithful in his calling. Among them is the principle that's found in this verse, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. It's a very familiar verse to many of you. You probably memorize it or you, you know, sometime or other. This principle is sometimes called or referred to as the ministry of multi multiplication or the ministry of reproduction. 
In short, Timothy is to entrust to faithful men the truth that has been entrusted to him so that they might in turn entrust it to others. This morning, I want to help us to see how the operation of this particular principle is crucial not only for the mission of SF Bible as disciple makers, but also the vision of SF Bible. Last week, we reviewed the mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. This week, we want to focus on our vision. What is the vision of SF Bible? What is a vision? A definition of vision, one definition of vision is basically a clear or challenging picture of the future of the ministry, as you believe it can be and must be. I like a more simple definition that a vision is what we envision the church to be like five years down the road, a five-year plan, if you will, even. And while the mission of a church generally does, never, does not change because it's grounded in the scriptures, the vision of a church changes over time. Changes considering the people that are here, considering the time that we dwell in, the, the place that we exist in, the resources that the congregation may have, the strengths and weaknesses of it. And so for us, as a Bible, uh, the elders, as we've looked upon the church, consider who we are and where we are at and uh, the times that we dwell in, we set forth the vision of as a Bible as this, is that we want to become a training center in the, in the life stage of this church and its maturity we believe that it's time for us to be like the church in Antioch, a church that equips disciples to serve the Lord in the local church and in our community for the greater purpose of developing and sending out future leaders, missionaries, and church planters. It's patterned after the church in Antioch that we looked at last year and we looked at this we studied in the book of Acts. It reflects the strengths of Esther's Bible's teaching ministry. It reflects our location in this world hub of a city. We hope that God would use this church to equip and train up Christians like you and me whom God might lead to other churches and other places to further Christ's kingdom. So in order to fulfill the mission and vision of the Bible, we need to grasp the mission, or we need to grasp the meaning and the implications of 2 Timothy 2.2 for ministry. And what we learn from this particular verse in 2 Timothy 2.2 is that disciple-making is a multi-generational ministry. It really takes place over multiple generations. And the church that recognizes this and operates across multiple generations of believers will have a long-lasting, far-reaching impact on our world for the gospel of Christ. This verse itself is a straightforward verse. We see in this verse four generations. Four generations of people are represented Four generations of people involved in the disciple-making process. And as we look at these four generations, I hope to draw several practical conclusions that will help us in understanding how we desire to fulfill, or might fulfill, the vision of the Bible. And so as an outline, then, we're going to look at four generations of Christians involved in entrusting the truth to others, or four generations of Christians involved in disciple-making. So let's take a look at these things. I think the, the outline is going to be straightforward. You probably can just write it down yourself even now. But I hope the challenge for us will be in its application, how we apply it to our own ministries and your own ministries in this church. The first generation of disciple-making is the generation of the Apostle Paul. We find this in the first part of verse 2, that the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses is what Paul says. 
The phrase, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, reminds Timothy of the teaching that he received from the Apostle Paul. It was during Paul's second missionary journey, if you recall, that he came across young Timothy in the city of Lystra. And he saw this young man who was the uh, son of a, of a Jewish woman, a believing Jewish woman, faithful Jewish woman, and a Greek Gentile father. So Paul took Timothy along with him because he saw something in him, something that would be useful for, uh, for the mission of God. And he then followed along with Paul and became a close ministry associate of Paul. Wherever Paul went and preached, Timothy was there to hear and learn from the apostle. Whatever Paul experienced, whatever Paul went through, Timothy was there to share in that and learn not only from his teaching but from his example. Now, what exactly did he learn from the apostle Paul? Did he merely learn the opinions and thoughts of Paul? Maybe Paul taught him about his political opinions of, of the current Caesar. Maybe he taught him about his favorite sports team, which, which nation's going to win the Olympics that year. No, of course not. What Paul taught him was sound doctrine. The things which you have heard from me are described by the Apostle Paul in chapter two, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. When Paul earlier says, retain the standard of sound words, and here you see that same phrase, which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. What Paul taught Timothy was the standard of sound words. This was sound doctrine, a pattern of sound doctrine. Paul consistently taught sound doctrine to such an extent that it became a pattern. It wasn't just one time or two times, but he talked through multiple times so that Timothy was learning and following after his own, would know exactly what Paul taught and learned. It's kind of like parenting, I think about it. In parenting, we teach and live out the same things over and over and over. We say them over hundreds of times, and we hopefully we're living them out as well. And our children then learn from the things that we say and the pattern of our lives. For Paul to Timothy, he lived out and spoke a pattern of sound doctrine. Doctrine that was healthy, life-giving, life-sanctifying truth because it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The phrase, uh, in the presence of many witnesses, would remind Timothy that what Paul taught was something that is verifiable by others, others who had heard as well. Just reminds us that the word of God is never the sole possession of any one man or even a few men. Though taught to us <coughs> often through one or, or a few people in our lives, the truths of God can always be verified by other witnesses, by the church. And now even more so with the completion of this canon of scripture, we can verify the truth by the Bible, by the multiple witnesses that we find here within. So what Timothy is to entrust to others is God's word. God's word that he had learned from the Apostle Paul. And so here's the principle I really want us to focus on. Before we can make disciples, we must first have learned God's word ourselves. We must know sound doctrine. And as a church, we strive to do this, and primarily through multiple ministries, but the, probably the one that all of us commonly experience is this ministry of our, the pulpit, the preaching of God's word that comes from this pulpit over the years, over the 50 plus years. Some of you have probably seen this pulpit here and sat under the teacher's pulpit when it was back in Funston, 498 Funston, when it was made by one of our uh, uh, elder emeritus even. 
you've heard faithful teaching coming from this pulpit. And uh, I pray and trust that when I'm gone uh, on my sabbatical, uh, and even when I'm gone, uh, that whoever sits or stands here, not sits, stands in this pulpit, will continue to preach and teach sound doctrine. Whoever, sits, whoever stands here is called upon to be an expository preacher, He's to explain the meaning of God's word and exhort obedience to God's word. He's not to tell stories. He's not to launch from a verse to the thought, his thoughts about, or the most recent thoughts on human psychology or sociology or politics or sports. And as a church, and particularly as elders, those of you who are elders of this church, when the person in this pulpit fails to preach God's word, it's time to retire that preacher. You must find someone else. Do not let anyone stand here and tickle your ears. The man who sits, stands here, must speak the words of God. Pulpit ministry. But there's another even, I sometimes think, a more strategic ministry in this church from which we teach sound doctrine. That's our Christian education ministry. That which we're going to all participate in after service today. We're going to go downstairs. We're going to find our Sunday school classroom. We're going to be involved. And that's what we're going to learn. And sometimes you go there and you kind of wonder, is there any purpose? And there is a strategicness to what we're doing. There's an intentionality in what we do. And I just want to review it for us because sometimes I think we forgot the purpose. Just for instance, I'll just give us the, our adult classes. Our, our lower division CE is much better organized. But our upper division CE, well, that's, you know, but it has this intention. Now, some of you will just pick whatever class you go to. I know, because you say, well, I like to learn that, so I'll go there. I like to learn that. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, uh, that's probably okay. But if you're a young Christian, I really want you to systematically go through these classes. There's a, there's a purpose in it. It begins with our fundamentals class. Those who teach the fundamentals class teach the most basic of doctrines, the fundamentals of, of the faith, the fundamentals of what it means to have life, life in this church Today, those who are going to join the members of the church have all taken this fundamentals of church life. They understand what is life in the life of God's house supposed to look like. Then, if those if you're taking fundamentals, our fundamentals class, then you would move up to our adult one class, our foundational class, where over four years you'll get a survey of Old Testament, New Testament, systematic theology, and then the basics of the Christian life and ministry, how to study the Bible. How to, do, how to practice the Christian disciplines for your own spiritual well-being. And then when you finish that four-year curriculum, if you finish that, then at that point, you may start taking adult two or three. Adult two or three kind of, if they're, they're sometimes similar, they sometimes cross, but really I think of adult two as the, our advanced Bible class. Over four years, you basically in, go in depth in the Bible as it studies the Old, Te- Old and New Testament through, uh, uh, <coughs> in, in further depth than adult one. And adult three class is our advanced ministry class. And that is where uh, our teachers there teach and equip you to do ministry, whether it's evangelism, teaching, or, in, or, <coughs> or serving in the church. It covers specific subjects and doctrines and books of the Bible in even greater depth so that you may be able to equip to answer the questions that often people raise uh, as you go about ministry. And so we show you all this so you will know that there's a structure, there's a purpose. And if you, you're not availing yourself of our Christian education ministry, uh, then you're losing out an opportunity to, to be grounded in sound doctrine. 
And if you don't learn sound doctrine, then you have nothing to entrust to others. This leads us to our second generation disciple making. Second generation disciple making is the generation of Timothy. Timothy. We read that Paul tells Timothy the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these. The implied subject is you, Timothy, entrust these. You, my son, according to verse 1, entrust these things. These things refer to the things which he had heard from the apostle Paul. Timothy has been charged with this standard of sound doctrine, and he is now commanded to entrust these words to the next generation. The command entrust is a, is a verb that it basically means to place beside or place before someone. It eventually can be used in a, in a technical term in, the, in business, in the business commerce world, where it means to deposit or to entrust something in the legal sense of leaving an object in another's keeping with strict penalties for embezzlement. Maybe some of you have probably heard of the term fiduciary duty. It's usually used in terms of banks and banking institutions. That the banks and those who, maybe those who are in charge of trust have a duty to faithfully fulfill, take care of what's been entrusted to them. It's not theirs. They cannot use it for their own advantage unless you give them permission to. They are to hold what you have given to them in trust and to fulfill and carry out the instructions regarding that trust. Upon penalty, if they do not. It's one of the highest standards by which people who are called to handle money is this called the fiduciary duty. And Paul had entrusted sound doctrine, in a sense, like a fiduciary duty to Timothy. He we see this in 1 Timothy 1.18. He says, this command, that can be translated, that is translated instruction just in verse 5 of chapter, of chapter 1, verse 1 Timothy. This instruction or command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight. And when we see the term fight the good fight, it really is to recognize that the, to fulfill the ministry of the gospel. It's a fight. It's a spiritual battle. Fulfill this calling. Timothy has a fiduciary duty to Paul and ultimately to God for the instruction of sound doctrine that he has received. Now he is to entrust these things to others for safekeeping. The gospel is not like cash or other equities. You can't pass it on after you die. You can only pass it on while you are alive. And to safeguard that gospel, it must be entrusted to others. And the more people you entrust it to, the more you safeguard the gospel from being lost. It's often been said that the church is always one generation away from disappearing. It only takes the failure of that one generation to, to, to pass on the truth of the gospel, to not pass it on, and that church dies with the gospel. So as disciple makers, we must intentionally think about passing on sound doctrine to the next generation. We must intentionally think about passing on. And we're at a place where we're in our maturity. We need, we need people to be a church intentionally thinks about what we do. Uh, sure, the Spirit of God will naturally just cause you, for the, just over the joy of the gospel, to just share it with others, right? Just like you love finding a great restaurant, you say, this is awesome. Hey, you need to try this restaurant, right? That's just natural joy. But as we grow, we want to be intentional about it. See, every one of us in this church has learned sound doctrine. And so, therefore, we need to be thinking about how we intentionally pass it on. We must be teaching the word of Christ to our children, 
to our spouses, to our parents. We must teach it in our fellowships, our Sunday school classes. In fact, in every aspect of ministry. We have an obligation to pass it on to the next generation. But let me take the application a little further. As each of us are involved in ministry, many of us are here involved in some ministry or other, we've come to learn that God's word has also knowledge, something to inform us about how we go about ministry. Not only what we believe, but how we go about the ministry. No matter your ministry. God's word has something to say about it. How you serve in that ministry. What you are to, to do in that ministry. And it's our responsibility to pass on not only sound doctrine then, but how sound doctrine informs what we do. That we, when we preach the gospel, we preach with conviction, with, with gentleness, with sincerity. Whether we are, whatever ministry role you have, whether we're a pastor, a teacher, a worship leader, an instrumentalist, an usher or greeter, a nursery worker, an administrator, a counselor, a special events planner, a facilities member, etc. We are all to entrust what we do to the next generation. Not only what we believe, but how what we believe impacts what we do. This means that we can't be serving in a ministry without thinking about teaching someone else that ministry too. It is important for us to grasp that every ministry is a disciple-making ministry. You know, it's not just the teachers that are in disciple-making ministry. I just look in the back of the room and I see ushers and I see greeters and I see uh, AV team members. Their ministry is a disciple-making ministry. As long as there are other people in that ministry, there's an opportunity to disciple others, to disciple them how to serve the body through, uh, through ushering, through greeting, through working at the soundboard or, or the, working the PowerPoint slides. There's something that, can, that God's Word says about some of those things. Maybe not in the details, but certainly in the attitudes, in the commitment, in the faithfulness. And this is true for all areas of ministry. If you've been in a, in a ministry for over a year, you should begin thinking about who you can train to replace you or to come alongside you. If you've been in a ministry for over five years, <coughs> you should already have brought along someone to share in your ministry who potentially can replace you should the Lord call you home or call you elsewhere. Now, a lot of times we think of training as like, oh, let's set up a workshop. Here's uh, five lessons you need to do to, to learn how to do this. But Paul, when he trained Timothy, certainly there was just ver uh, verbal, oral tra training. But a lot of it is just simply taking Timothy alongside. Training involves just coming along, ca calling someone to come alongside. Hey, why don't you come alongside with me to do this ministry? Observe how I serve, and then I'll give you an opportunity to serve. And then you, you can teach others how to serve while you provide counsel, feedback. I trust if you're serving this church, the ministry that you've been entrusted is important, right? It's important to you. And if it's important to you, and if you believe that it's something that's helpful for the ministry of this church, the ministry of the gospel, then if you, then if you really love this ministry, you will make sure that you entrust it to others. Because you do not know if you'll be alive tomorrow. And if you're not alive tomorrow, who will do that most important ministry that you're in charge with? 
Always have in mind someone that you call alongside. Share with the ministry so that they too can learn it and do it. Entrust it to them. This is where we consider the, the third generation of disciple making. And that is faithful men, the text refers to. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Who will be able to teach Choosing the appropriate people to entrust the ministry of the gospel is important. They must be faithful. They must be faithful people. People who are trustworthy, reliable. This word could also be translated as believing. However, the additional phrase who will be able to teach suggests this idea that more than just believing is required, more than just being a believer in Jesus Christ, but one who's going to be faithful. A person who is trustworthy or found faithful in lesser things will more likely be faithful when trusted with the teaching of the truth. Not only that, but no, we are to look for faithful people who indicated a sufficient ability for teaching others. That is, they are able. This word able means simply sufficient. They don't have to be the most gifted teacher. They don't even have to have the gift of teaching. As disciple makers, we disciple makers, we are all called to teach others, right? That we just read the Great Commission earlier. We're all to make disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. We're to teach. Even if we don't have the gift of teaching. Not every parent has the gift of teaching, but we're all called to teach our children. And, while it, and not only that, while it's possible that when Paul is instructing Timothy to entrust this truth to others, it's, he's thinking maybe of elder qualified men. He's thinking about Timothy passing on to other elder men who will become elders of the church who will then teach it to others. But it's interesting that the, Paul, the wording that God has, God has Paul to use here does not require it. The word for men here is a generic word for man. It could be translated as well as people. It's anthropos, anthropology from which we get. And we understand this because both men and women are called to make disciples, right? It's not just men or, or only or women only, but all are called to make disciples. And so Timothy, as this pastor of the church in Ephesus, has a responsibility to teach others in the congregation, to teach people like Priscilla or Aquila. We remember how Paul taught Priscilla and Aquila. He came across them in the city of Corinth. And then he brought them along with him into Ephesus. And they then, after having been with Paul in the ministry, they in turn, turn, uh, in turn taught the truth of the gospel to a gifted young man named Apollos, who in turn went on to refute many and show many of how the Messiah was Jesus Christ. Lastly, uh, we note that Timothy is to entrust this, the truth to a, a plurality of people, not just to any kind of people, but a group of people, a plurality of people, not just one man, but a multiple men, multiple people. This third point reminds us of the kind of people we should be looking for to entrust sound doctrine, faithful people, able people, and not just one or two people, but multiple people if we can. The more we can teach, the better. And when we grasp the role of this third generation, these faithful men or people who will be able to teach, 
it really should create a mind, ministry mind shift for us. This ministry mind shift, is, mind shift is this. We understand we need to make disciples, but when you disciple someone, you're not just making a disciple, you're making a disciple maker. You get that? You're not just making a disciple. You're making someone who's going to be a disciple maker. When you train someone else, we're not just training them to do the work of the ministry. We're training them to teach others the work of the ministry. And we as a church need to raise the bar and increase our expectations for those we teach, especially those we disciple on a one-on-one or a smaller group setting. We need to challenge those that we teach that what they learn is meant to be shared with others. We need to challenge them to be faithful with what they've been given. Like our children, they must be trained to think beyond themselves. That all that we teach them is for their good, but it's meant so they would pass it on to their own children, that they would pass it on to others that they come across in their life. <coughs> and this leads us to the fourth generation. A fourth generation in our verse. And that is the fourth generation that's called others. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The faithful people that we teach sound doctrine are expected in turn to teach it then to others, right? Now, it's kind of cool. This word others... In the Greek, if you are some of our Greek scholars sitting up front here, could tell you that there are two words for the, for the word others, two Greek words for the word others. Uh, there's one, uh, one word is the word other that means, means other uh, or another of the same sort. And there's a second word that means other that's another of a, of a different sort. And sometimes they're just synonymous, used synonymously, but sometimes it is, there's a distinction between these words in this way. We see it in Galatians one, play, one time, very clearly in Galatians. In this verse, these others are of the latter word, heteros. They're, we are to teach others not only the same sort. So the emphasis usually on the first word is of numerical, a numerical difference. Now that is, that you're just teaching more people. And that, that's definitely true when we, the generation that we teach and then to teach others... They're teaching more people, that's true. But the emphasis, I believe here, by the use of the word heteros, is that the people that we teach, who then teach others, that others are people of a different sort. Yes, more, but they're different from us. What could this mean? I I can't be dogmatic about it, but I do believe the significance is this. That the generation that Timothy teaches will in turn teach other people that Timothy himself would not be able to reach. People whom he, or a different generation, a different group that he could ever reach. Whether it's different geographically or more likely different chronologically and temporally in time. (coughs) And so the principle is this. We make disciples who will reach others that we will never reach. We make disciples that will reach others who will ne- we will personally never reach. I've had the great privilege of teaching many of you for this come near 20 years now. And it's been a joy to teach people here in the SF Bible. 
But I and my ministry will most likely never be able to reach or teach people who live in Kyrgyzstan or in Pennsylvania, or will I ever be able to reach people who live 30 to 40 years from now, I'll I'll most likely be in glory. But some of you, particularly the younger ones of you, will. God may bring you to Kyrgyzstan, may bring you to Pennsylvania, will bring you into interaction with the people who live, who are attending this church 30, 40 years from now. People I will never reach, but you will. And as a teacher, it will be a great joy to one day discover in eternity how the, the people whom we teach, in turn, will reach a different generation of people for Christ that we would never even have imagined. And we'll praise God for his amazing grace and mercy. And that's part of our vision. Part of our vision as a training center that equips disciples to serve in the local church because from these disciples who serve in this local church, we know that some are going to be sent out. Whether we send them out intentionally or God will take and send you out for whatever reason. And you will then go and become leaders in other churches. You'll become missionaries in other countries. And I hope even my prayer is that some of you, a team of you even, will be sent out from here to, to plant a church, to start a new work. You know, let's be, let's be you know, just very sober minded and recognize that our first generation of this church will be called home in the next 20 years or so. This church is 50 years old. 54, 50, 55 now. And when that happens, this church, when that first generation departs, this church will die if it has not taught and trained up another generation to teach the generation after them. You know, we should just take a look at our ministry. We should already be seeing the second generation of this church in ministry leadership roles. They should be serving as teachers and counselors and and deacons and deaconesses and elders already. And that second generation should already be actively training up the next. I've heard it said that the great joy for parents is not just having children. Uh, it, It is a great joy to have children. I've heard that the greater joy is to watch our own children have children, as some of you have recently experienced. And when we see our children passing on and raising up their own in the ways of the Lord, then we know that by the grace of God, we've succeeded in our calling as parents. And the family life is really simply a microcosm of the church. For the test of whether you have successfully made disciples is if they, in turn, are making disciples. Let's see. Let me try something. Uh, I said I would do, I, I was weighing in my mind if I try this or not because it's just different. It's going to make you a little uncomfortable. Uh, but that's always good, right? Being comfortable is good. If I just made you comfortable, you'd like fall asleep on me. But let's try this because I, I think it's going to make a great illustration. It just illustrates our principle today. <clears throat> I look around the room right now. 
as we look around this room, I want you to ask you to raise your hand. Okay, not yet. Raise your hand if you were part of the original membership of this church, okay? Original membership of this church. You guys, that's like 25, 30, 40. Okay, there's only a handful of you. All right, thank you, Corrine. You're so brave. I appreciate it. I was hoping to see some others in here. I guess they're going to be in second service. All right, so Corrine. Anybody else? Come on, you got to raise your hand because this ain't going to work. I'm taking a big risk here. But I have good confidence because I know Corrine. Okay. Now, keep your hand raised. Okay. If, now, as you look, as you look around, if you were taught by Corrine in her, any of her regular ministries throughout this church, over 50 plus years of ministry, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. Raise it high. Keep them high. I'm going to see you. Okay. Okay. Raise your hand because others have to see your hand. Raise your hand high. Okay. It has to be high. Okay. Now, as you look around this room, okay, uh, these are people who have been taught by Corrine, second generation. Second, look at these second generation people, okay? If you have been, oh boy, if you have been taught by any of these people in your, as second generation in your, in your ministry, okay, and now let me point out Pastor Roger up here, okay? <clears throat> <laughs> Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay, this is third generation. Now, keep all your hands up. Keep your hand, because I don't see everybody's hand up yet. <clears throat> now, if you have been taught by any of the hands that have been raised that are here in the regular ministry, now raise your hand. Okay? All right. So there's four generations later. That's pretty cool. People whom, okay, and is, you know, Karine's shaking her head because like, oh, no. I was But these are people that, the, particularly, and I would have made it, so, those of you that raise your hand at the at last, can you raise your hand? These are people who basically Kareen had probably would have not had opportunity, will not have, because she taught junior girls, <laughs> I think, right? Junior girls. So it's amazing that even, and she taught a group of girls, and some of you were in that, or maybe some eventually became junior church or some other ministry. But then you then taught others who taught others who taught others, and that's just one person. We have a whole first-generation people. I'm hoping to see this uh, uh, happen again in second service. Is that we have an obligation. There's, there's a multiplication when we teach others who will then teach others who will teach others. And they'll and you will be amazed as we watch them later on, the generation down the road, the people that we influence. Uh, not really not because we intentionally did it, but because of the grace of God in us. These are people, there are people who are not, because of God's principle of multiplication, reproduction, we are going to reach for the gospel because we're faithful to simply entrust what we have received to the next generation. Paul's instruction to Timothy is God's instruction to you and me. We have been entrusted with the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we are to entrust this treasure to the people who will be able to teach others also. This is what we call disciple-making. And as we do so, our vision for us at Bible then will, can be fulfilled. Because if we do this, if we keep entrusting the gospel to the next generation, we will, can become a training center that equips disciples to serve the Lord in this church and community so that eventually God's going to raise up a generation who will be sent out, individuals, a group, to be future leaders of other churches, missionaries in other lands, and church planners in other regions of our Bay Area. And may this be done for the glory of God alone. May we not allow cowardice 
or contempt for the gospel or God or comfort or carnality hinder us from this task. Let us be a church that is on mission and on vision for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this church. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit dwells within us that your spirit is the one that works in us and cause, uses us and gifts us and, and calls us to serve you. Thank you, Lord, for the many saints in this body who have served you over the years, many some who have gone to be in glory, but we thank you, Lord. We thank you because you are an operation <coughs> in that first generation who taught the next generation, who taught others, who have taught others. We, can see, we see that continue to work. And Lord, we, we want to be more intentional about this in the coming years. Help each of us to, to hear what you have said in this verse, to examine our own life, our own ministry, to consider what we can do to be more faithful in entrusting this treasure, the gospel of Jesus Christ, who came and, and died for our sins and rose from the grave so that everyone who believes might find forgiveness of sins, and eternal life in Christ Jesus. And know you, their creator, their maker, and their God and their savior. Lord, that you might receive all the glory in your church. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.